I said it in the first service, and I'll say it again. It's always good to what I consider, I always consider the Ridge Church home, so it's always good to be back here. Um, if, you, uh, if you will, go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 18. So we're in this series uh, called Stories, and we're taking parables and stories that Jesus has uh, shared throughout the Gospels, and we're, we're trying to understand more importantly and more applicably what he is trying to say to us. Uh, this particular story that I want to talk to you guys about today uh, is one that has been challenging for me. Uh, God began dealing with, uh, with me about this particular story many, many months ago, uh, and it has uh, definitely changed the way that I uh, view my walk with Christ and how I view uh, how we're supposed to handle offenses and when people wrong us and do things to us that uh, are not particularly enjoyable. So uh, this is uh, something that has definitely been uh, important for me. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 21. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. It says, uh, Then Peter came to him, him being Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and, and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. But he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you if from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So when I first read this story, I was like, First of all, I went, uh, ow, because it was a little harsh right there towards the end, right? But when I, started, when I started reading it, God began to really deal with me about this. The first thing I noticed about this story is this relationship that the master has with this servant. The, the servant, the, the master is settling his accounts. And he brings this guy to him. He says, listen, and he said, basically judgment day is here. And he says, not only is judgment day here, but you owe me a debt that you have yet to pay. And I'm here to settle that account. It is time for you to pay up. And the servant begs the master, he said, he pleads with him, he falls to his knees, he says, please, you know, give me more time, I'll pay you what I owe you, but I just don't have the money for it right now. And it says that the master was moved with compassion, and he, he, he said, I'm not just going to give you more time, but I'm actually going to just completely forgive you of the debt. You are completely forgiven, you owe me nothing. And the servant, I can imagine, he goes home and he's sitting there with his wife and his kids. He says, hey, we are debt-free. We can now live life to the fullest, right? We, we have absolutely no debt. How many people would like to be debt-free, right? You, I mean, okay, nobody. All right, so <laughs> debt is awesome. Okay, so uh, anyhow, so, so he's sitting there at the house. He's like, man, he said, like, we are debt-free. We can now truly begin to live. 
and says that he then went to one of his friends, one of his fellow servants who, who owed him two denarii, which is far significantly less than the 10,000 talents he owed his master, right? And he says, hey, you owe me some money. You owe me two nickels, right? And he says, and you're going to pay me that money. And it says the friend said the exact same thing that he said. He said, man, give me more time. I don't have the money right now, but if you give me more time, I'll pay you what I owe you. And it says, and the servants, he wouldn't, he wouldn't hear it. It says he threw him into prison and says, you're going to be in prison until you can pay me what you owe. This is interesting because this parable, this story that Jesus is, is, is saying, he is, he is trying to relate it to himself and the church. You see, Jesus is the master in this story. And we as the church are the servants. And what I first noticed about this was there was nothing that the servant said, did, or could say, or could do to earn the forgiveness of the master. It was of his own compassion, of the master's own free will, of his own grace, of his own love, of his own mercy that he forgave the servant his debt. There was absolutely nothing that the servant said. There was absolutely nothing that the servant did that could earn him the forgiveness. But when the master was moved with compassion, he said, I forgive you the debt. But then that same servant goes to somebody who owes him money, and he says, hey, he says, you owe me money. I'm not going to forgive you the debt. You're going to pay me what you owe. And unfortunately, this describes many believers today, is that we have been forgiven a debt that we could never have paid. We could, we could live a thousand lifetimes and never pay the debt that Christ Jesus paid for us. And yet, unfortunately, when it comes to being hurt by our brothers and sisters in Christ or other people in, in our life, we hold that grudgingly in our hearts. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 1, Jesus is talking about unforgiveness and offense, and he says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come. In other words, Jesus is saying, It is impossible to go through life without being offended. It is impossible to live this life without having your feelings hurt. It is impossible to live this life without having your heart crushed, without having your dreams messed up. It is impossible that no one should, that you would live this life and nobody lie to you or lie on you or lie about you or, or criticize you or bully you. It is absolutely impossible. The question that Jesus is, is posing here is not, that the statement that he's giving is not whether or not we're going to be offended, but what we're going to do when it happens. You see, you, you can live this life, but it is impossible to live this life without being offended. It's just what are you going to do in response to that? So Jesus is saying this, and I'm going to read this verse, and then I'll get into what I'm trying to get at. In verse 6, after he said in verse 1, it's impossible to live life without being offended. Then he says in verse 6, But if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, or your version may say a sycamine tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And it almost seems interesting to me that he goes in verse 1, he says, hey, you know, it's impossible to live life without being offended. And then he jumps and says, so, you know, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this sycamine tree, be uprooted and cast into the sea. And I'm like, so since when did we go from unforgiveness and defense to talking about, you know, trees and nature? And I'm like, I, I don't understand this whole process that Jesus is going. And I'm like, Jesus has been doing a little bit, turning water into wine too much. So <laughs> it doesn't really make much sense. But he, he, he it's very interesting about the sycamine tree. So I want, for the, the purpose of this sermon, if you don't like it, it's okay. It's my sermon. I'm preaching it. So here's what we've got. On a sycamine tree, there's four points that I have for you this morning about how a sycamine tree or a mulberry tree relates and is similar to unforgiveness. The first thing that I find very interesting about this tree is that its root structure is very deep and intense. 
The sycamine tree is not dependent upon the atmosphere that it is in or upon the, the rain that falls on it. It was, it was able to flourish and blossom extremely well, even in hot and desertous places. And the reason for that is because it didn't have to rain for it to get the, the nutrients and the water that it needed. The sycamine tree would grow its roots down deep into the earth and would spread out. It would go down as far as 30 feet deep and as far as 120 feet wide, and it would keep growing until it could tap into the earth's water. And it would continue to grow until it was able to stay connected to the earth's water and continually draw its nutrients from that. And I find that very interesting because it didn't matter if it never rained for years. The sycamine tree would never die because it was tapping into the water that was stored in the earth. And this is similar to unforgiveness since the first point I had this morning is that unforgiveness affects every area of your life. When we hold unforgiveness in our heart, when we hold offense in our heart, we don't release that unforgiveness, it begins to grow deep within us. It begins to spread out and attach itself to every area of our life. If It affects everything we do. If you've had bad relationships, then... You know, if you're, well, my last four boyfriends or my last four girlfriends have been really horrible. So when you finally find one and you get, you get married, it affects your marriage. It affects the way you view that person because of all the bad relationships you've had in the past. It affects the way you work at, at your job. If you've been laid off before or fired before, it affects the way you work and, and how, how diligent you work at your job because you're always in fear of possibly losing your job. It affects friendships and your ministry. It affects literally everything that you do. When you hold unforgiveness in your heart, it begins to attach itself to every area of your life, and it grows deep, and it grows wide until it has literally tapped into every area, every situation of your life. The second thing that I, I noticed about this tree that I learned is that the only type of insect that pollinates this tree are wasps. And it doesn't matter how old or how young you are, but if I were to ask you one thing, if you could tell me one thing about a wasp, everybody would say, a wasp does what? It stings. That, that to me is interesting because if you remember back in Matthew what we read, he said, because, you don't, because you're not willing to forgive him, I'm turning you, the master said, I'm turning you over to the torturers. Now, I don't know of anybody that enjoys getting stung by wasps. Maybe you're a freak. I don't know. But I don't know of anybody that enjoys getting up and saying, you know what, I'm looking to chase down a wasp today so I can get stung. Nobody enjoys that, right? So it is, in a way, torturous. Well, this is, that's my second point. Unforgiveness is torturous. If you don't release that unforgiveness, it will literally drain your spiritual life and joy out of you. When you see that person or you, or you go to that place that you've been hurt before, you're instantly reminded of what it did. When you see that person who, who lied about you or, or you know, said something mean to you on Facebook or on Twitter, you know, hashtag, it's not, it's not very fun. And you're instantly reminded of that kind of stuff. And it brings all those memories back. It brings all of those fears back, all of those hurts back. And it's hard to get past it. But if you can release that unforgiveness, that stuff doesn't have to be a torture to you anymore. The third thing that I noticed is that the, I don't really know how to pronounce this name, so I'm not even going to try, so I'm just going to try and still pretend like I'm smart here. So the fruit that this tree produces, unlike it being like a banana or an apple or an orange or any other fruit that you can think of that usually is sweet, this tree, the fruit that it produces, when you bite into it, it has a bitter taste. And most people, when they would take the fruit from this tree, they could never finish the fruit because it was so bitter. And this is similar to unforgiveness because unforgiveness leads to bitterness. And it's so important that the tree, that, the, the fruit that this tree bears is a natural thing. 
And if you don't, if, if you let unforgiveness grow deep and you allow it to affect every area of your life and you allow it to continue to torture you, the fruit that you will bear in life is bitter. It's not going to be a sweet-smelling aroma or a sweet fragrance to God. It's going to be, it's going to be bitter. We've all seen those, you know, people that just look like they're just mad at the world all the time, right? You know, you just you walk past them in Walmart and you just want to numbchuck them because they just look depressed, you know? And you're like, turn that frown upside down, man. It's not that, you know, there's no way that life can be that depressing, right? Well, nobody wakes up one day and says, you know what? I want to live this day depressed. I want to, I want to end up being a depressed person in life. Nobody wakes up with that ambition. But it happens after they hoard and just continue to hold on to all of those things that have affected them. Doctors and psychologists will tell you that, you know, people who are depressed and stressed the most are, are, are weaker physically, healthy. They're not as healthy as, and they don't live as longer as people who, who don't live with so much stress and so much depression, right? We all know that. We hear the stories, we read the articles. So Jesus here is not just giving us something that is helping us in our spiritual life. He's giving us something that's helping us in life in general. He doesn't want us to live depressed and live with all the hurt and, and things that we, we deal with on a daily basis. He says, give it up because it's going to produce a bitter fruit in your life that no one is going to want to be a part of. The fourth and final point that I have is that the, the wood from this tree in those days in the Middle East, they, that is the only kind of wood they would use to build caskets. It was such a durable wood and such a sturdy wood that when they would, they would cut the tree and the tree would continue to grow, it would never die, and they could, they could take the bark and the wood from this tree and make caskets out of it to put the people in. This is very similar, and it's the most important point I have tonight, is that unforgiveness brings death. Unforgiveness will literally kill what God is trying to do in your life. It will, it will hinder you from moving forward. If as believers we want to move to the next level in our walk with God, the one way to kill our ability to move to the next level is holding on to unforgiveness. If you want to stay exactly where you're at, see everything you're seeing, experience all that you've ever experienced, the key is to just continue to hold unforgiveness in your heart. Offenses and bitterness and unforgiveness and hurt, when we don't release that and we don't just turn it over to God, it causes nothing but spiritual death to come to us. When I was preparing for this message, an illustration that God gave me is, we all know that this is a podium, right? It's hard. It's sturdy. It's, it's you know, it, it, it is what it is. You can't really do much with this podium. You know, I, I couldn't wear this as a, as a shirt. I know it sounds ludicrous, but if you just imagine with me, I couldn't put this on and wear it around, right? It just, it wouldn't be comfortable. I couldn't, if it was cold out, I couldn't lay here and put this on top of me and use it as a blanket. I mean, I, I probably could. It would probably continue to fall off, but I could, you know, try, but it, it just wouldn't work, right? It's got a flat surface here, and I could maybe possibly use it as, as a pillow, but it wouldn't, use, it, it wouldn't be very productive, right? It just wouldn't feel good. Some people may be able to look past it, but I just wouldn't be able to. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is this podium has one purpose, and you're looking at it. This purpose stands here, and it, it, it can only be good for what it is being used for right here. A shirt, on the other hand, is much different. I can wear this shirt. I can put it on when I don't have anything else to wear. I can wear the shirt around the house or when I go out. It can help, you know, keep me warm. If it's cold out, you know, I'm pretty tall, but I could probably, you know, make this work as a small blanket of some sort, right? It'd definitely work for a little kid, right? I could fold this shirt up, and it may not be as fluffy as, you know, a pillow, but I could use it as a pillow if I wanted to. It'd be a whole lot nicer and more comfortable than this. 
But you know, there's, one, there's only one difference between this shirt and this podium. Hardness. The difference between this podium and this shirt is one thing and one thing only. How hard one is and how soft the other is. You see, this can only be used for one thing. This, it's normally only used for one thing, but it can be used for much more. Because it's soft. It's flexible. I can twist it. I can turn it. I can stretch it. I can do whatever I want with it. What I'm trying to say, folks, is that unforgiveness will harden you. It will make you, it will stifle your walk with Christ. It will make you unable to be used by the kingdom. What God is looking for is not hard podium people. He's looking for soft shirt people. People that he can stretch. People that he can turn. People that he can, he can use for more than just one purpose. This podium will only ever be used for one purpose. And the only way it can ever be used for anything else is if it's broken. And if it's broken bits by bits, piece by piece, and made into something else. But I don't know about you, but brokenness is a whole lot harder to go through than just being able to be used by God in this way. You see, when we hold on to unforgiveness and we hold on to offense, it completely hardens us to being used for the kingdom of God. It it, it stops God being able to use us for our destiny and calling. Now, the difference really, too, is, is this podium is, if I put it up next to this shirt, up next to the podium, it's, it's taller than the shirt. It's a little wider than the shirt. People see this before they see this, you know, if I put it behind it. But you see, it's not about whether or not you're more visible. It's about whether or not you're more used and if you have the ability to be used. It's not going to be on the screen, but I'm reminded in, um, in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, when Jesus is, is hanging on the cross, it says that when he, he looks out and he sees all the people that have put him on the cross, it says that he says one thing. He says, Father, forgive them. And I find that very powerful because we talk a lot about the stories of Jesus. We talk a lot about his life. We talk a lot about his miracles. We talk a lot about the death of Jesus, his sacrifice, his resurrection. But this morning, I think it's important that we pause and reflect about his prayer. Because these people that that whipped him 39 times, that beat him beyond recognition, that plucked out his beard, that spat on him and kicked him and ridiculed him and mocked him and even made fun of him and said, if you're really who you say you are, you'll be man enough to come down off that cross and save yourself. The people who put nails in his hands and nails in his feet and a crown of thorns on his head and a robe just to mock him even more and give him the title king of the Jews up on the cross, those very people, he looked at each one of them. He looked at the religious person. He looked at the Pharisee. He looked at the soldier. He looked at the sinner. And he said, Father, forgive that person. That's so hard for me to imagine that Jesus sitting there on the cross can look out and say, Father, forgive him. He could have said, oh, you just wait. When I come on my white horse, I'm going to whoop some tail. You know, (laughs) he could have said that. But he said, Father, forgive him. And he looked through the portals of time and he saw me and he said, 2,000 years later, Father, forgive Daniel for what what he's doing. You hadn't even committed a sin yet. And he saw you and he said, Father, forgive him. He looked and he saw Brandy and he saw Steve and he saw, he saw everyone and he said, Father, forgive them. Not for what they've done, not for what they've said, not for what their potential is, but Father, forgive them because I love them that much. You see, that's the God we serve. And when you look at forgiveness and you look at offense in that light, there's no way we can hold unforgiveness in our heart. It is impossible as believers to looking at it in that light, knowing what we've done, we've worshiped other gods, when we've spat on Jesus' face, when we've beat him and hurt him and crushed his heart, when we've done those type of things, when we've had lust in our heart, when, by the way, that is adultery, when we do those types of things 
and it breaks God's heart, he says, you know what? Forgive him. I forgive you. Not because of anything you said, not because of a prayer that you prayed, but because I love you that much, I forgive you. And then just a few verses later in that chapter, if you read it, Jesus says just three words. After he says, Father, forgive him, he says three words. He says, it is finished. And those three words that were said over 2,000 years ago should become the three words that we can say here this morning. That unforgiveness, it is finished. That hurt, it is finished. That bitterness that I hold in my heart today, it is finished. Just as when, when Jesus, when he, when he looked out and he saw all those that had hurt him, and when he looked through the portal of time, and for 2,000 years he saw all the people that would ever live and that are living now and all the things they would do that would break his heart, and he forgave us, he ended it with, it is finished. That's the last words he ever said. He closed the book and said, it's over. I no longer hold it against them. Their debt is paid. They're completely wiped clean. They are forgiven because of my grace, because of my compassion, because of my love, not because of anything they've done, but they're forgiven. It's finished. And we as believers need to get to that point this morning where we can say, you know what? It's finished. I'm not going to hold on to my unforgiveness. I'm not going to hold on to my offense. I'm not making excuses for what people have done to us or said to us or, you know, anything like that. But I'm just saying we have to forgive. We have to release that unforgiveness or it's going to hold us back and destroy what God is trying to do in our life. In 1 John chapter 5, in verse 1, The Apostle John is writing a, a letter to the church, and he says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And every believer, no matter what denomination you are, loves that. You know, everybody's like, absolutely. If you believe in Jesus, you're saved. You know, you believe he's the Savior, you believe he's the Son of God, you're saved. But there's not a period there, there's a comma. He says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Oh, and also, everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten. He says, here's the test of true Christianity. Not only that you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God, because here's the truth of the matter. The demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, demons do more than we do, because when he walks in the room, demons fall down and worship him. And a lot of us will just stand here with our hands in our pockets, and we'll worship God, you know, while, while Kevin and Julie and them are up here, and we just kind of, you know, sit here. You know, God's good. You know, I come when I can. It's all good. It's no big deal. The demons do far greater than we do. They bow down and they confess, you are the Son of God. When Jesus would cast the demons out in the Gospels, they said, you're the Son of God. Please, don't hurt us. You know? They do more than we do. But they're not saved, right? True Christianity isn't just being able to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's our Savior. It's being able to love the unlovable. It's being able to forgive those that hurt us, even when we don't, not because of anything they do, not because they're going to get we're going to get something in return, but because that's what Christ commands us. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't a request. This is a command that if you are going to be a child of mine, you're going to behave like a child of mine, and you're going to forgive when people offend you. Because it means more. That's a true sign. Because here's the thing. It will literally kill you. Unforgiveness will literally destroy your life and hinder what God wants to do. When I, when I think of this, this is a true test of how we, I, I've, I've read different things, I've, I've saw movies, I see how Hollywood portrays it, I see, you know, I listen to music and, and how the songs are, and I, 
I hear advice from people to say, you know, this is how you know you've truly forgiven someone when you can, you know, buy them a cup of coffee or, you know, you can, you can see them come in the room and you're not reminded of what they did. And, you know, that stuff just never really got it for me. I was like, that don't make no sense. But Jesus, when, when, I was, when I was really reading this, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, this is a true sign that you have forgiven someone when you can pray for them. This is a test for us as believers to know if I've truly forgiven somebody, if I can pray for them. Because Jesus did that for us. He prayed for us. And he said, I forgive them. I was in a, a church one, one night with a, a friend of mine who was uh, my best friend, and we were, we were sitting there, and, and his pastor was preaching, and he said, uh, he was preaching about God moving in your life, and he said, one thing that will hinder, he kind of said it in passing, he said, one thing that will hinder God from moving in your life is, is unforgiveness. And uh, I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me and just asking me to pray, you know, Father, forgive me for holding unforgiveness in my heart. And I was like, I've forgiven, you know, I, I was like, I don't have anything, you know, I don't understand. I was like, well, what's it going to hurt? If I don't have any unforgiveness, what, you know, what's it going to hurt to pray? So I began praying that prayer, and as I began praying, God, you know, forgive me for holding unforgiveness in my heart, and I'm sorry that, you know, I, I hate what those people did to me, but I, I forgive them, and I began to say that. The faces of individuals, you know, began crossing my mind. Everyone that has ever hurt me, everyone that has ever said something bad to me, or just whatever it may be, all their faces just came right there at the forefront of my mind. And as I was praying, my prayer began to change, and I began to pray, God bless them. That God, I pray that their church flourishes. God, I pray you bless their marriage. I pray you bless their family. I pray their business prospers. I pray you'd give them abundant health. It just began, my whole prayer just began changing. And when I got done with that prayer, I felt a load, just a weight lifted off of me that I didn't even realize I had on me. And I, I experienced true freedom. And after I said that prayer, the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, now you know forgiveness. Now you know freedom. You see, it's not enough to just pretend like it didn't happen. That we're not, we're, God doesn't call us to do that. He doesn't call us to pretend like it didn't happen or, be, or not to use wisdom and, and discernment on, on how to handle certain things. He says, but the key, the test to see if we've truly forgiven is if we can pray for him. If you can pray for your enemy as good as you pray for your best friend, you've, had, you've forgiven him. If you can pray that God blesses them just as much, if not more, than he blesses your family, you've forgiven them. That's forgiveness. And so, this morning, I just wanted to really share this with you that we don't need to be like this. God's not calling us to be a podium Christian. He's calling us to be a t-shirt Christian, if you will. Not to be hard, but that he can soften us. He doesn't want to have to break us to make us into something. It's so much easier to just mold us into his image than it is to break us into pieces and try and put us together. So if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, that's, that's something that I've struggled with. I'll have one more story to share with you. There was a, a pastor one time that was talking to me and he said, said that he had uh, just started a church and, uh, uh, you know, years ago. And he said uh, he started a church in a small community and he said that uh, there was a church about two miles down the road and they just hated the fact that he had planted a church two miles down from where they were. And uh, they did not want another church in that community. And he said that, uh, he said, Daniel, he said, they just started attacking us. He said, you know, they just came after me, started calling him a Pharisee and just ridiculing him, attacking his ministry. His church split twice. Uh, a bunch of people left. It was just, he thought it was over. 
And he said, finally, you know, that the pastor of that other church had a heart attack one day and was in the hospital. And he said, while he was driving down the road, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, go pray for him. And he was like, heck no. <laughs> you know, I pray, you know, you reap what you sow, you know, that's, that's what I pray over him. But the, uh, in all seriousness, he said, you know, the Holy Spirit has kept dealing with him. So he said he went to the hospital and he said he walked in the room and he said, can I pray for, can I pray for you? And he said, and the guy just, the pastor just shook his head. And he said, he went over to him and he just started weeping. And he just said, I forgive you. And he said, he just started praying, God bless their church. I pray you just open the, you know, the doors of heaven and bring souls in. And years later, they've joined forces and they're now partners in ministry. And before they couldn't even look at each other. And now they're traveling the country preaching together about the power of forgiveness and what can happen when we push aside our own, our own beliefs and our own desires and say, you know what, I forgive you. And that's what he did. He forgave him, and he prayed for him. I'll close with this. When Peter came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, how often should I forgive? Seven times? You know, seven, Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. Jesus didn't say, you know, hey, do that because I'm still working on it and I'm trying, so you can get a head start on me. Jesus is saying, I want you to do it because I want you to be like me. Jesus is calling us to forgive 70 times 7 because he was trying to tell Peter, that's how many times I'm willing to forgive you. If you will forgive 7 times 70, and by the way, that's per day, not in a lifetime, but 7 times 70 a day. Jesus said, that's how many times I'm willing to forgive you, Peter. And if that's the kind of God we serve, we have no room and no excuse to hold unforgiveness in our heart. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, this morning, if you are, maybe this is a hard message for you to hear because you've never experienced the new birth. You've never, you don't understand this type of forgiveness. I want to encourage you this morning to, to run to this altar. That this is such an important opportunity that Jesus Christ is pleading with you that when he was on that cross, he said, I forgive you for everything that you've done, for everything that you, that you will do. I forgive you because I love you that much. And if that's you this morning and you say, I've never experienced the new birth, I've never experienced salvation, which can only be found in Jesus, then I encourage you to come up here this morning and experience that freedom. If you're a believer here this morning, and I want to challenge you to do something that's going to be difficult. I want you to, if you can, imagine and put the faces of all those who have ever lied about you, ever bullied you, ever said something to you that has hurt you. Maybe it's not words. Maybe it's actions. Whatever they've said or done to you, I want you to imagine all those people and put them at the forefront of your mind right now. And in your own words, I just want you to just pray, God, I forgive them. And just like Peter said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Maybe this morning your prayer should be, Lord, I forgive them, but help my unforgiveness. Help me to release them so that I don't become captive to my unforgiveness. And if that's, if, if that's you, and as you're praying that, if I want you to repeat this after me. Everybody say, it. Everybody say, it is finished. And I want you to remember those three words, and that this morning you can leave here saying, today it is finished. All my hurt, all my pain, 
all the absence of joy and the, the lack of fulfillment in my life, it's finished today and I'm going to move forward in Jesus. Part of asking for forgiveness sometimes means being, being bold. And so I encourage you today to, to come up to this altar. If you want someone to pray for you, pray with you, we, we will do that. But just today that if you can just say, God, forgive me for not forgiving others and help me to forgive. That's important. Jesus said we will know them by how they love one another. That should be a test of true Christianity, that we can love, not because of what we can get in return, but just because of who we are in Christ Jesus. So I encourage you to find that forgiveness in Christ and then seek to forgive those who have wronged us this morning.